Good afternoon, and I want to thank you and welcome you to our live stream Good Friday service. And this afternoon, as we uh, broadcast this service, uh, we desire to bring the message clearly to those who are dispersed abroad in Oakland and Livingston counties and, and around the country as you tune in. And our desire is that you come to the cross and you find the limitless mercy and love of a Savior for you. He died for you, for me. And just as his blood ran down the cross, so did his mercy and his love. This morning, we want to invite you in your home to worship with us. This is an entertainment from a band. This is a desire to lead you and your family in a spirit of worship. So sing along. We put the lyrics on the screen so you can sing along with us. Whether you're by yourself or as a family, we encourage you to just sing right out as we sing. We start off with this song talking about the blood of Christ on the cross and the amazing love and mercy he showed through his death on the cross. Yeah. 
afternoon, it's our joy to gather as brothers in Christ to get to lead our congregations together, and it's even a greater honor to share the conversation of the cross this morning with each of our congregations collectively. And the first word that I have for us is followed with a scripture of Matthew 26, 6 through 26. My word is betrayal. Let me read to you Matthew 26, 6 through 22, and then spend a few minutes looking at betrayal. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Hence the word betrayal. With betrayal, we can quickly, in our own humanness, find ourselves wrapped into the emotion of hurt. But what I would encourage you with this morning is not so much the word and the, and the things that saturate us on our emotion of hurt when we are betrayed, but understand the giver of what we've received in this time. One of four things I'd like to discuss with you, the first one is this, whatever may, whatever may come, believe. Whatever may come, believe. Jesus says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, according to John 14, 1. And again, we're reminded again in John 14, later in verse 29, No, I have told you this, what is about to happen, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. In those moments and in those places in your life and in my life, when we do find ourselves as the person that's been betrayed, it's so important for us to find our anchor in God, our anchor in Christ. Many people in our society can look at this, this COVID-19 and understand God's betraying us. God's letting go. But what I want us to understand is, God, where are you in this for me? What can I understand? The second is, is this, in betrayal. Understand how to love one another, especially, especially when it's hard. Believing will not only move mountains, but what we need to understand is how to face those mountains in faith. What we understand again from the scripture in John 13, 34 is this commandment. If I give it to you, that you should love one another, just as I have loved you and you also love one another. Three things that are normally not spoken together in the word betrayal how to get through it and not focus on the betrayal, but focus on the giver of what's going on through the betrayal. The third is this, abide in my commandments. Amongst the betrayal, live to the king, live to the cross. Jesus did say, believe, even in the valley of the shadow of death. But he did not only say believe, he exhorts you and I to remember, to look to the cross always. Understand especially how to do that under the charge of loving one another. 
how to embrace the cross. When Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, right in the days that we've been living as we go through Passion Week in John 14, you are my friends. And he commands this to us, that we love one another. Believe in the word and the word will help you. Here's where it helps you. It helps take you through the storm of the betrayal. When someone or something is turned against you, here we see it's Judas. Understand Jesus is saying this, peace I I leave with you and peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not though your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I mean, these words of John 14, 27 are so important and it's amazing how much betrayal wraps into the conversation of where we're living today. The next word we have is from Pastor Wally, and it's on loneliness. Thank you, Pastor Matt. As he said, my word is aloneness, and I'll be reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 41. The word of God says this, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed. With sorrow and to the point of death, he said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners." On this verse, or these verses, J. Vernon McGee said this, All I can do is stand at the edge of the garden and worship and watch without the answers. Stand in the hush of Gethsemane and listen. Do you hear the sob of his soul? Do you hear the falling drops of blood? Look yonder in the garden, by an olive tree and sea, bending low in agony and prayer, the Savior, who took upon himself your your humanity and mine. The word is aloneness. Think with me, if you will, back to that garden on that dark night and the Lord Jesus Christ with his disciples and coming to that place and calling Peter, James, and John uh, along with him and going into the Garden of Gethsemane and praying. Most of us know that the word Gethsemane literally means the oil press. And one writer asked this, could it not be that now here in the garden that God began forsaking him, that Jesus began to feel the loneliness of the cup that he had to endure, that Jesus began to feel the loneliness of friends and family and followers betraying him and the loneliness of crying out to God, his Father, his Heavenly Father, the first person of the Trinity, and not knowing the quick response or the nearness that he always had. Luke uses the word agony, uh, where Mark uses the words here that he was distressed and troubled. That word troubled means burdened and weighed down. My soul is overwhelmed, Jesus said. And that word overwhelmed literally means a sudden and horrifying alarm 
at a terrific object. Didn't Jesus know all along that he had to die? Didn't Jesus know all along that he had to be crucified? Didn't Jesus know that this was the price that had to be paid for our salvation, for our redemption, for our reconciliation? He did, but now Jesus was moving into that time where physically he was going to endure the wrath of the Heavenly Father. And we are taught from scriptures that, that seemingly and certainly in his humanity and from his friends that he did it alone. He felt alone just like many in these times feel alone. His family had turned from him beginning in Mark chapter 3. The crowds had walked away beginning in John 6, 66. The 12 had become 11 due to Judas's betrayal of him. The 11 here in the garden had now been reduced to three. And those three, Peter, James, and John, they were now asleep and could not watch with Jesus for any amount of time. The Word of God records for us that Jesus was alone. He even cried out to His heavenly Father on three different occasions inside of the garden, praying to Him that if it be possible, this cup might pass. Jesus even said, All things with you are possible, but nevertheless not my will be done, but your will. Heavenly Father, Jesus taught them a lesson in the garden, and I I want us to learn it. This morning, he took Peter, James, and John along with, uh, with him. Why did he do that? He comes down further and asks Peter, after finding him asleep, he says, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was teaching his disciples the inner three, and he's teaching us that in times of aloneness, which we might be experiencing in these days, that we would pray. Uh, they slept and they were tired, as many of us are in times like this when depression comes, when confusion comes. We just want to roll over and hit the snooze button and continue to sleep and be in our aloneness. But Jesus Christ here taught those three, which would be a valuable lesson for them to pass on once Jesus rose from the grave, that, that we are to pray in times of aloneness. And Jesus did that. I can't imagine the loneliness in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was alone the Savior prayed in dark Gethsemane. Alone he drained the bitter cup and suffered there for me. Alone, alone, he bore it all alone. He gave himself to save his own. He suffered, bled, and died alone, alone. As we walk through these last 24 hours of Jesus' life here, The words that we've covered are betrayal and aloneness. And now I come to the word accusation. Have you ever been accused falsely of something and you just want to defend yourself? You want to set the record straight? What we have in the last verses of Mark 14 and then the first few verses of Mark 15, the accusations being thrown out about Jesus. Reading in Mark 14, starting in verse 55, the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. They did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Very early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plan. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate asked? You have said so, Jesus replied. 
The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it had been the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it is out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Peter, or Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Betrayal, and then aloneness, and then accusation. I'd had it several times in my life when I've come across terrible accidents on the road. I saw an ambulance flip over when I was a teenager, and, and then when I was in college, we saw a terrible accident happen, a head-on collision in the snow. I was the first on the scene to approach the cars, but the one that sticks out to me the most is when I was a youth pastor in Battle Creek, a young girl, 17, driving her car, uh, went across the center line and struck a car head on, and I was called to the school, and I quickly drove over to the school, didn't know what was going on, but between my home and the school was the accident scene. One of the firemen knew me, and he saw me passing by, and he waved for me to come over. So I parked my car and went to the scene, and he started crying. And he said, Pastor, would you give her last rites? She's not going to make it. I don't give last rites. I, I didn't know what to do, but I knew I could pray. And I remember crawling up to that car, reaching in and putting my hand on Emily's head and, and just praying for her. After some time, I got back in my car, I was heading to school, and I noticed I had blood on my hands. I started trying to rub it off, clean it up, and just tried to get rid of it. We know from Scripture that Pilate does something symbolically the same. He doesn't want Jesus' blood on his hands. He doesn't agree with the accusations. And so he washes his hands in a bowl and, and then says, there, do what you want. His blood's not on my hands. But the Jews accused him. They accused him of destroying a temple, of being the king and starting an insurrection, of blasphemy. Truly, they wanted to stone him themselves. That was their desire. They were out for blood. They didn't really want Rome to crucify him, but they wanted him dead. Pilate simply asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you said it. He has to give Barabbas. He thought by offering Barabbas, surely they'd let Jesus go. They were worshiping him a week ago. They aren't going to go through with this, but they chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. In Matthew 27, it says, the Jews said that may his blood be on us and on our children. They were willing to have Jesus' blood on their hands. Pilate wasn't. He wanted nothing to do with it. But forever he's remembered of this accusation. In the creed, the Apostles' Creed, it says, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Even though he didn't want it, Pilate's always connected with this death of Jesus. Accusation, betrayal, aloneness. These are things that Jesus went through on our behalf. 
I'm going to send it back over to the band as we worship him for loving us and dying in our place. Thank you again, pastors, for uh, just getting all of us together. And I think I can speak on behalf of everybody here that I was in need of some worship. Uh, This time, all of this uncertainty going on in the world, uh, we all need hope, and our hope is in Christ. And just please join us in our worship. We're going to be singing Jesus Messiah, just, again, shouting out to him, calling him to us, and proclaiming that he is our hope. Yeah. 
before you this afternoon, and we are so, so, so very grateful for the love you demonstrated, the mercy you demonstrated for us on the cross. Lord, we're thank you, uh, thankful to you for Christmas morning, for the birth, uh, and we're thankful for Good Friday with the, the death and burial, and we are excited and looking forward to a celebration Sunday of Easter, the resurrection. Lord, thank you for the amazing plan you demonstrated to settle our sin debt and to make us right with you. Uh, Lord, we love you and we are grateful for what you've done for us and we decide and we choose and we commit to living for you and giving ourselves to you in light of the amazing sacrifice you have demonstrated for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
these next few words, we're going to see what looks like even a picture painted closer to the cross. In these next three words, we're looking at suffering, crucifixion, and death. And my word suffering here comes out of Isaiah 53, 1 through 5, and it says this, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and a man familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Looking at the word suffering, we understand the pain and the agony. We understand the struggle and the heartache. We understand suffering as a result of something else that's gone on. Here we understand that suffering is multifaceted. Suffering has many faces to it. The Bible doesn't whitewash us Christians from the experience of suffering. We understand, rather, in its multifaceted ways, we understand suffering can come upon us in various ways. Let's look at the Apostle Paul's words here. He wrote these in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not given to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In these two verses, Paul lists the several types of suffering. They could be mental, physical, emotional, and even spiritual. And each of these, in different ways, we can suffer. And though when suffering comes, often several other types of suffering are involved. As a church, as a body, as believers of multiple buildings that gather together, we understand suffering happens in community. Christians still suffer. As we wait for the return of Jesus, we will know that we will suffer. But none of us is suffering our own random suffering without purpose. Embracing the purpose. Paul gives us these words again in Galatians 6.2. He says, bear one another's burdens. And in this, we so fulfill the law of Christ. We understand suffering equips us for ministry. A couple words that pastors don't like to hear. The more you suffer, the more you'll be prepared for ministry. Not a school that's very fun to endure. First-hand experiences in suffering are essential in equipping you and I both for ministry. Paul again writes in 2 Corinthians 1.4 these, wor- these, these words. That God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may, may be able to comfort those who are in many afflictions with the comfort which ourselves are comforted by God. The last of these words this morning on suffering is understand that suffering is a battleground. It's the place where the work of, where, where the work of God is taking place with the prince and power of the air. Look at the book of Job and we see and understand all your suffering can go through and be aimed at for one specific purpose, and that is to give God greater glory. 
Understand how to turn that over to him and say and recognize and reveal that this is God in this. Even though we understand that God is not the giver of hard things, we recognize he removes himself so that therefore we can come to him and humbly ask, Lord, give me wisdom, give me grace, give me strength. He is our heavenly father and he declares us in need of him as we cry out to him. We see it demonstrated in the crucifixion. Crucifixion from Matthew 27, 31 through 43. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watched over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself! Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. I hope you can see the cross that's behind the three of us. And that's what brings us here this morning as we celebrate Good Friday. And it wasn't necessarily great for our Lord Jesus Christ, although it was because He was doing the will of the Father and He was doing that which pleased His Heavenly Father. It is very good for us. The word that goes along with crucifixion in my mind here is what's taking place on the cross. And I will admit to you, I don't understand the full ramifications of it, but I can submit to you also this morning, or this afternoon rather, that that I have received it. It has become effectual in my life, and I praise God through Jesus Christ for that. But what was happening on the cross is Jesus Christ was bearing the penalty, the shame, the degradation, the, the hurt, the forsakenness. For my sin and for your sin, this had to take place. A verse that was ringing through my mind as as Pastor Don gave me this particular word was this, Isaiah 53.10. Please let this sink in. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The cross wasn't an accident. The cross wasn't a happenstance. The cross wasn't just the way that it took place. The cross was the will of the Father for the Son to die in your place and to die in my place. Here at the cross, Christ felt both the hurt of man's injustice and the weight of God's holy justice as he went forth to bear the full curse of sin. An old Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, asked these questions Was he flogged? It was done so that by his wounds we are healed. Was he condemned though innocent? It was done so that he, or so that we rather, might be acquitted though guilty. Did he wear a crown, a crown of thorns? It was done so that we might wear the crown of glory. Was he stripped of his clothes? 
It was done so that we might be clothed in everlasting righteousness. Was he mocked and reviled? It was done so that we might be honored and blessed. Was he reckoned a criminal and counted among those who have done wrong? It was done so that we might be reckoned innocent and declared free from all sin. Was he declared unable to save himself? It was done so that he might be able to save others to the uttermost. Did he die at last? And that the most painful and disgraceful death? It was done so that we might live forevermore and be exalted to the highest glory. Let us ponder these things well. They are worth remembering. I just asked the question and I'll read a few verses and I'll turn it over to Pastor Don. What happened on the cross? 1 Peter 2.24 tells us, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And finally in Galatians 3.13, the Word of God says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Death is... And the curse were in our cup. O Christ was full for thee, but thou hast drained the last dark drop. Tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, love drank it up. Now blessings draught for me. As we look at these words, Jesus was betrayed. He was alone. He was accused. He suffered. He went to the cross. And then he died. The final word is death. Luke 23, 44-46 says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Jesus died for us. His death is essential because without the death, there's no resurrection. Without the resurrection, no forgiveness. Without no forgiveness, we die in our sins. He had to die. Some say he was born to die. He was sent to die. And he did die. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He died for us and was buried. But I want to point out something. Nobody there got what they wanted. Nobody left happy that day. Jesus' mother Mary suffered greatly watching her son. The disciples were scared and scattered. The Jews, sure, they wanted wanted to stone him themselves, but even the Bible says later, they walked away from that scene beating their breasts. It didn't seem to satisfy. The soldiers were scared because the ground shook and the sun stopped shining. Nobody got what they wanted except one. The only one who got what they wanted was Jesus. He knew he was going to die. He told his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem so that I will be put to death. The only one there that was satisfied was God. God sent his son so that he would die for us. I talked earlier about blood on the hands. 
You need to know today that His shed blood will either cleanse you from your sin or will be on your hands for all of eternity. Jesus died for you. The great news is today, and I, I so want to talk about resurrection, but we've got to hold off. We've got to wait. Got to wait till Sunday. Have you accepted this gift of salvation? Have you personally gone to God and said, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as my Savior and Lord. Today is a great day to do that. It's pointed out very clearly what Jesus went through. He died for you. He loves you that much. Let his blood cleanse you from your sin today. I ask that you would do that. Oh, where did Jesus go after this moment of death? We know from Pastor Waller reading scripture that that he, he died in our sins. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteous. So when he died, he died in sin. I believe he went to Hades, but I don't think he was there long. I knew he, he, he didn't even think he would be there long. When he died in our sins, he went to the depths, but God reached down and did something miraculous and he yanked him out and took him to paradise because he even on the cross told the, the sinner next to him, Today you'll be with me in paradise. So though Jesus died, there's great news coming. Let me pray, and then we'll do some more worship after we watch a special. God, I come to you thanking you today. It is a good Friday that you are a suffering Savior who died for us because you loved us. You left nothing undone, and we're thankful for the cross. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for your cross. In Jesus' name, amen. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary You're the perfect only one crushed to
the testimony of these six young ladies from our community sharing what Jesus has done for them. Thank you so much for Brianna, Heidi, Kaylee, Clara, Navy, and Cass for uh, being part of this special video to share your commitment, your love for your Savior, Jesus. And now, as a congregation dispersed abroad, we sing our love for Jesus for what he's done for us on the cross with our next and final song we're singing together this morning, Jesus, Son of God. Let's sing together. You came down from heaven's throne.
thankful to have a team of people here today. I want to thank Christopher Card, Rusty Pauly, and John. Thank you. And it's good to have uh, our drummer in the drum booth, and that's Jimmy Priest. Hasn't been on the drums for three years. Back here in Michigan for us today. Excited about that. We're going to gather around this table. Talk to both pastors. Our churches practice open communion. In other words, you don't have to be a member of any one of our churches to take communion. But you do need to be a member of God's family by asking God for salvation. If you've done that and you know you're a child of God, then you can participate with us. Now's the time to make sure you have those elements gathered. But before we do that, Scripture's very clear. 1 Corinthians 11. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. There's instructions given here that this meal is not to feed your bellies. This is for a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. So we don't take it lightly. Earlier it says, So that whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. The Bible says we should examine ourselves. I would encourage you to do that right where you're at. Just see if there's anything that hasn't been forgiven in your heart. Give that to God today. And as you talk to God, making sure that you're right before Him. We read in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. I'm going to ask Pastor Wally to pray over the bread for us. Father, we thank you for the great gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you gave yourself to be broken, that your body, which your word teaches us, is the veil by which we enter through to come to God Almighty. We recognize that in the crucifixion, one of the miracles was the tearing of the veil from top to bottom in two. And what was once off limits to mankind because of your sacrifice and your body now became open to all whoever will believe. Jesus, we come now and we recognize that your body had to be torn. You had to die for the forgiveness of our sins. We praise you and we thank your great name because of what you have done. Help us to walk in newness of life. Help us to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ with the fellowship of his sufferings. We recognize now what you have done in our place, and we will do this until you come back to get us. And we ask it all in your precious name. Amen. And as the pastors receive bread from this plate, we ask that you would be ready to partake. Scripture goes on to say, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake of the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Pastor Matt, would you pray? Heavenly Father, we approach your throne in this communion and we recognize the just the strangeness of the time we're in and to practice communion from home and Lord I pray over the audience that's participating in this worship service as we celebrate communion and we look at the cup and we understand what that blood shed for us is accomplishing Lord I pray specifically for this communion and 
the, the reach of this broadcast to understand our world is in a pause. To hear a gospel of hope in a time when the world is hopeless, Lord, I pray this communion would be a blessing to so many. To see brothers and sisters gather in your name and identify and find their identity in the cross and say, that is my king, that is what I love. Lord, I pray that we'd understand your blood shed for us and we'd understand what the new covenant is and understanding that our atonement is made possible in this day. And in three days from now, Lord, we will see the resurrection and understand that is my king. Lord, I pray that you would bless each person in their home as they partake of this. That the Spirit would fill them in understanding and a blessing in such a way to understand that this is a sacred time with the Lord. Lord, I pray for our friends and neighbors and people that might know us or they might know us just on on social media and they might see of what we're sharing this morning. Lord, I pray for the evangelistic message of the gospel to be powerfully enabled into them through the means of technology. That's so crazy. Lord, I pray that we would not do this as, as anything other than worship of you this morning to understand you are our king and we can lay ourselves down and we understand that you are the message sent. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand it's sent through the body of the believers that are identifying together in this communion. Lord, do that work and multiply our efforts this morning because it's your name that's glorified. It's for your fame. It's for your glory. It's for your delight, not ours. Lord, as the scriptures say, I, I pray that you would help us understand this morning that in this blood is this new covenant. And Lord, I pray that you would, as often as we drink this, bring blessing as we bring remembrance of you in it. So Lord, I pray that specific blessing over our people this morning, that you would bless them in their homes, keep them healthy. Keep them from sliding into anxiety and worry and disbelief of who you are. But Lord, understand that it's in your death that they have identity And in your resurrection, they have life. Lord, I pray that you'd come, you'd deliver, you'd help. You'd bless those that drink of this cup this morning. Jesus goes on to say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. He goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I hope you understand we wanted to proclaim what Good Friday is all about. The death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he did it for you. This is a love story. The body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. We do this in remembrance of Jesus. And it is so odd that we do this in separate homes today. We're used to gathering together. At our church at Oakwood, we have a tradition of singing a song called Bind Us Together. And we gather toward the middle and we all join hands. And that seems so odd now. You wonder if it'll ever happen again. But we're bound together by something much more than just physical hands. We're bound by the blood of Jesus, bound by his broken body on the cross. We're bound together in our hearts. So I'd ask you to sing this song in closing today. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together. 
understand that today. I pray that the people at Hadley Community Church and New Hope Church and Oakwood Community Church realize that we're bound together, one church, one body, meeting in many locations. And so I pray that the rest of your day you'll be preparing, and even tomorrow, preparing for what's to come as we proclaim not only his death, but his resurrection. Sunday's coming, and we're so looking forward. Join us then. In Jesus' name, we pray all this. Amen. God bless. Have a good rest of your day.